The following audio is from Story City Church in Burbank, California. Thank you for listening. For more information on Story City, you can find us online at storycitychurch.com or on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Story City Church. Good morning. Uh, my name is Jessica Wooler, and if you could all stand for the reading of the scripture. When I'm finished reading, I will say this is the word of the Lord, and I invite you all to respond with thanks be to God. It is Luke 10, 25 through 37. Then an expert in the law stood up to test him, saying, teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he asked him. How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, he told him. Do this, and you will live. But wanting to justify himself, he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus took up the question and said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him, beat him, and fled, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the road. When he saw him, he passed by on the other side. In the same way, a Levite, when he had arrived at the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan on his journey came up to him, and when he saw the man, he had compassion. He went over to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on olive oil and wine. Then he put him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave that to the innkeeper and said, Take care of him. When I come back, I'll reimburse you for whatever extra you spend. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The one who showed mercy to him, he said. Then Jesus told him, go and do the same. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Jess. Good morning, Story City. It's good to see you this morning. That's right. My name is Jared. You got that? You beat me to the punch. My name is Jared. I have the uh, privilege of being one of your pastors here. It is an honor to be with you. Uh, For those of you who have been with us for a while, you have maybe picked up on the fact that in the beginning of each sermon, uh, I talk a little bit about who the church is and what we're supposed to be about. The reason I do that is because uh, I'm new, right? If you didn't know, I'm coming up on a year as the the pastor here. And um, so since February, we have been working to change some of the culture. We've been working hard to to be who God has called us to be. And so it helps by continually saying, this is where we're going. This is who we are. Uh, because there's a lot of turnover in L.A., in case you didn't know. And so it's helpful to keep reminding us of who we are as a people and where we're going. But this year, um, there's something that we want to do a little bit different, and that is we believe that God has called us to focus specifically on prayer this year. And so instead of giving you that couple uh, seconds blurb on here is who we are and where we're going, that we are going to model what it looks like to pray. And so we're going to spend a little bit of pastoral prayer time at the beginning of every sermon. And so if you would join me, I'm going to make this really awkward for our production team. I'm just going to hit my knees here. And would you bow in prayer and pray for a minute with me? God, you are incredible. You are wonderful. You are amazing. You are the God who's ways and thoughts are so far higher than our own, it's almost sometimes hard to even wrap our minds around. 
You are the God who loves us in ways we can't even begin to understand. God, I have such a hard time realizing that you are love. You don't just love, but you are love. And when you love us, you give all of yourself to us. Not impartial, not, in, not, not temporarily, not until we do something back, but Father, you just love with all of yourself. That's incredible. God, I thank you that my identity and worth isn't based on what I do or, or how good I try to be or the ways that I appear to other people, that in all my brokenness, Father God, you are still fully loving me. That as apprentices of Jesus, we, we are accepted in because of who you are, not what we do. And so, God, that takes so much pressure off, and yet we're still so broken and screwed up, and yet you still love us. That's amazing. Lord, personally, this week has kicked my butt, and you're still good. This week has been incredibly hard, and you are still good. And I know that your word says that everything that you do in us, everything that you allow to happen to us, Lord, is what's ultimately best for us and best for your kingdom. And God, sometimes that's really hard to reconcile with the fact that you're good. But you are. And so we proclaim that this morning. We thank you for that. God, we ask as a congregation that you would open our eyes and our ears, that we would move into deeper levels of relationship with you. For those of us here who, who aren't really sure about you yet, thank you that you've brought us this place of, of wonder, of, of asking, of questioning. Lord, we thank you that you're not afraid of questions, that you're not afraid of doubts and fears and even frustration and anger. Lord, we know as your people that we have hurt those around us. That so often church hurt has led people away from you, Jesus. And so we who are apprentices of Jesus, Lord, we just beg for your forgiveness for the ways that we have not represented you well. For those of us who aren't sure about you yet, we pray that you would, Lord, uh, uh, bring us to a place of, of understanding who you truly are. That we would know you for who you are. Lord, you say that you want to reveal yourself to us. And so we ask that you would do that. As a congregation, we pray that you would bring unity and healing and respite and health and true community, that you would give us strength and courage and wisdom to, to not only fall more in love with who you are, but to love others to the best of our ability. Increase that capacity and ability within us. Lord, for our neighbors around us, Lord, for the, for the condos, apartments near us, we ask for healing, for hope, for peace. We pray that you would, Lord, um, protect during this time of COVID, there is so much going on. There's so many jobs that are still, um, uh, Lord, uh, to be had and people struggling with work. There's businesses that are not going well. And so would you just, Lord, um, protect and bless? Would you allow there to be uh, safety even during these, these difficult times? Allow ways for businesses to stay open and for people to get jobs that need jobs, that you would bless your people here. Plus those that aren't your people here because you are good. Lord, I ask for... Uh, specifically uh, the principal, staff, teachers at uh, Burbank High School, at John Burroughs and at Monterey, that you would protect them, that you would give them wisdom to know how to deal, Lord, with this newest onslaught of Omicron and all the things that are going on, that you would help them to, to love the students well, to make good decisions that protect the children, that you would protect the staff, protect the teachers. I pray that you would give them strength to carry on in the face of constant change and constant frustration. Lord, that you would give them wisdom to know even how to make it through their day, that you would energize them, renew their strength, Father. Protect them.
Lord, I pray as a congregation that we would find ways to serve those schools, that we would love those schools well. And so would you open avenues and doors for us to to not only, um, Lord, just bless, but to bless with no strings attached, Father, for them to know that we're not trying to get them into our church. We simply want to love them because you've called us to, because that's who you are. You love us without strings attached. We want to love our community without strings attached. And so would you protect and bless these schools? Would you give the teachers strength and energy and wisdom to protect their health and their families? Lord, we love you. We pray that you do a mighty move in the city of Burbank, in the city of Granada, in the valley, in Los Angeles as a whole, in the state and around the world. In Jesus' name. I want you to know that there are a lot of things happening here at Story City that go outside of Sunday mornings. And um, we have been working really hard to be a church that loves and serves those here in Burbank, in the Valley, in L.A. County. And in some cases, even people on a national scale. And you might think, you're a five-year-old church plant, a small little church in Burbank, California. How are we impacting things on a national scale? I'm going to talk to you about that. Before we get there, though... uh, Some of you may have been here when we took a survey last year, and we were asking, what are the the greatest needs inside of our church and inside of our local community? And you guys answered that. We appreciate that, and that hasn't gone away. We've actually been behind the scenes restructuring our church in order to steward our time, talents, resources, and people to meet those needs in the healthiest of ways. We want to be good stewards of what God has called us to, and so we're continuing to look at those surveys and the results and figure out what we need to do to be the best church for our community. Now, for those of you who don't know, you ready? Here we go. We are a Southern Baptist church. Oh my gosh. (laughs) said it out loud. I can't believe I just did it. Secret. Okay, for those of you who are still staying, um, I did have this funny conversation. I was in the South one day, and I was talking to somebody, and um, I said, "Yeah, we're you know we're where are you at? Oh, we're in we're in Southern California." And he was like, "There's Baptist churches in California." I said, "Well, it's Southern California." And he looked at me with a straight face, and he said, "Well, that makes sense." <laughs> okay, I'm glad. I'm glad it did. But those of you who don't know, the SBC is the largest legislative body in the world, the second largest Christian organization after only the Catholics globally. Now, we may not look like your typical Southern Baptist church. For those of you who've been in church for a long time or even come from the South, I am not your typical Southern Baptist pastor, just in case you did not know that. But still, there are some things that are really valuable about the Southern Baptist, some things that we really appreciate. Number one is their deep commitment to loving their community, to church planting and care for church planters through their SEND network. Their love for the community through SEND Relief, which specifically, if you don't know, focuses on the areas of homelessness, food insecurity, the elimination of sex trafficking, the promotion of foster care and adoption, and disaster relief efforts. But you've probably never heard of SEND Disaster Relief because they don't do it in their name. They do it in the local church's name. And so if we were to have a massive issue here in Burbank, they would come in with all their trucks, with all their people. They would come and serve and support, and they would do it in the name of Story City, the local church, and say, we're here to serve you as you serve your community. That's incredible. They're not trying to make a name for themselves, but a name for Jesus. And so we are Southern Baptists. That comes with some great things like the Send Network stuff, but it also comes with some pretty horrific things. 
I talked to you uh, in June, for those of you who are here, about the fact that the Southern Baptists were founded on horrific premises. They were founded to protect slave owners' rights. They have worked really hard to begin reconciliation and change. And so uh, we stood as a national convention in Alabama several years ago and, and not only apologized, but worked to begin to, to say, how do we as an organization continue the change that we've started, but to do it in a very intentional way? Because this is evil and horrific. In fact, it was pastors, specifically in Charleston, South Carolina, who, when the debate was going on whether slavery was right or not right, who stood up and said, you know what? The Bible actually advocates slavery, which is not only wrong and evil, but actually just inaccurate. And so it was the church that began this breakdown of, of gospel understanding of what it meant to truly love people. And so it's the church that needs to stand up and say, we were absolutely wrong and we need to lead the efforts in making things right. And I saw our denomination begin that process. But you can't walk for hundreds of years in that and, and suddenly just say, I'm sorry, and it'd be okay. And so I've, I've seen our denomination work hard to make changes. And this last week, I was invited to Mobile, Alabama for a summit where the primary purpose was to bring a tangible gospel-centered roadmap towards reconciliation at our annual convention this year here in Anaheim in June. Now, I'll be honest. Sitting in that room with some of the most influential leaders of the SBC, I was like, I think I'm in the wrong room. I think somebody meant a different Jared, and they got the email to me, and I was like, I'm coming anyway. You guys know that we're this little Baptist church in Burbank, California, right? Uh, But guys, um, I am proud that we at Story City get to be a part of such an important conversation, of such an important movement of an important place in in seeing the restorative work of Jesus being done throughout our country through the church. And you know what? Whether it was an action or not, I am glad that I was there and we got to be a part of that. And so um, the the elders asked me to talk about this today and and, and that's uh, why we're speaking about this. And I think it's really appropriate seeing us out tomorrow is Martin Luther King Jr. Day. And so it seems, again, it seems really appropriate that that we talk about the summit that Story City was involved in. Can we be honest with each other? For a minute, though, some of you are already starting to squirm. Some of us are already feeling a little bit, I'll be honest, I'm feeling uncomfortable, right? I'm scared to stand here as your pastor and talk about this. Why? Because there's so much stuff that comes with this. Some of this has been politicized. Some of this has been taken out of context. Some of this stuff has just been done in anger. And and we're not talking about any one side. There's millions of sides here. That's not what we're talking about. I'm just talking about the issue in itself brings up really strong responses. Responses like anger or responses like blame. Or simply people who leave the church over even having the discussion. My friend Will Browning, he spoke here a couple weeks ago Uh, spoke on this after George Floyd's murder and a third of his church left. And so as a pastor, you know, if you don't know this, here's a secret. Many of us are codependent. We really want people to like us. It's, it's one of our personality traits. It's common in pastors. We just want people to like us, right? And so when we deal with difficult things, it's a scary thing to stand up. If you guys don't know this, you guys are really scary from the front, Right? <laughs> You guys, while you're thinking, you get a look like this. Which when you're preaching is like, 
I think they're mad at me. I'm not sure. I don't know. Did they not get my jokes? Like, what's happening, right? It, it can be scary. And, and, you know, all you guys see is the back of the person's head in front of you, which is really friendly. <laughs> but we get all kinds of different responses when we talk about things like this. Responses, like I said, anger or blame or simply leaving. And, and sometimes we just get this sense of, well, hey, this is Los Angeles. It's already one of the most diverse places on earth. Like, I don't know that we need to be discussing this. Is this really the place? Or, you know what? That's a political issue. It has no right to be in church. Or, you know what? That's fine. I'm not racist, so this isn't really something that applies to me. I mean, it's great conversation, but it's not really something that I need to be paying attention to. But the truth is that we cannot be apprentices of Jesus without addressing this issue in our specific life. Now, I personally have been the victim of racism and discrimination, I've been followed around in stores and asked to show my receipts at the end. I'm not talking about like Walmart where everybody does it. I'm talking about places where no one else has asked for their receipts or the manager comes out and it's just me. I've been in places where people walk on the other side of the store where women suddenly cover their purse and move it to the other side of their body as they walk past me without even knowing about it. And it's fine when it's one person, but when everybody in the same store does it to you, you start going, what is going on here? Or even when I was a police officer, I used to get stopped on the way home from work by the sheriff's department, and they would conduct all of their stops with their weapons out pointed at my head for no reason. And the moment they would discover, this happened regularly, like on the same street, the same sheriffs, the moment they would discover, the same department, not the same guys, but they would discover that I was a police officer, and they would run back to their cars without explanation. And I'd say, hey, why did you stop me? And they would yell, taillight. And I get back to my house, and of course, there was absolutely nothing wrong with my taillights. But here's the truth. I have also harbored racism in my own heart. I've walked into an area filled with Samoans and Hawaii and been afraid simply because of how they looked. I felt fear because of the way that somebody looked, not because of the way that they acted. I've held stereotypical thoughts of other races even while decrying stereotypical thoughts about Asians. And so I want us to understand that this morning is not about condemning. It's about creating a safe space where we can begin to explore how we, the church, can change ourselves so that we can bring change in the communities around us. Is that fair? Is that fair? Guys, listen, we, this isn't about like We're not here to make you feel guilty, but we are here to make us reflect and be honest. Baptist pastor Martin Luther King Jr. pointed out that 11 a.m. on Sunday morning was the most segregated hour in America. In America, Pastor Will Browning, as I said before, points out that this discussion absolutely belongs in church because it was churches that used scriptures to affirm the continued practice of slavery. Now listen, being uncomfortable again is, is good if it causes us to reflect and think. It can be really good to be uncomfortable at times. Our elder Bob, I love what he says. He says, Jared, you make me uncomfortable, but in a really good way. (laughs) Bob, I love that about you. Thank you for that grace. That is such a great statement. But being uncomfortable can also be bad if it shuts us down and closes us off to honest reflection. And so again, the goal today is not to solve anything, not to blast anybody into some sort of submission. The goal today is that we would come away with a desire and a commitment to listen to what God is telling us about ourselves. To go, you know what? Maybe awareness is not the end game. 
Because I believe that many of us are aware that there is an issue. But beyond that, that that can't be where we stop. We have to be honest about who we are and the ways that we even process what's going on. But there's more to it than that. And so if we can come away today with with a commitment to say, Lord, I I, I don't even know where you want me to start. But but would you help me be, be willing to look? Many of us don't want to because we're afraid of what we'll find or because we don't know how. And so as we examine our own hearts in honest ways, I want to give you four things that Pastor Will Browning gives us to begin this journey. Here's the four things that he asks us to do. He says, number one, it's important that we pray. That we pray and ask God to show us anywhere our heart is not aligned with God's heart. Guys, that's where we should be as apprentices of Jesus anyway. That we should be praying, God, if there's any... I may not even want to look at it, but would you show me if there's any area of my heart that is not aligned to yours? Here's a second thing that we have to be willing to do. We have to be willing to catch up. This means that, that, look, it's very easy to get into our constant rhythm and routines and listen to the same things, watch the same things, talk to the same people, and not get outside of those and, and begin to think this is the way that the whole world thinks. In Washington, D.C., they call this the Beltway Bubble. Because inside the bubble, everybody believes, inside the beltway, everybody believes, everybody thinks the same way. Why? Because everybody you meet thinks the exact same way you do. And as you get outside of yourself, you begin to find out, oh my gosh, there is way different thinking, and I'm not even used to that. I didn't even know you thought like that. And so we need to get outside of our bubbles. I'm not saying your bubble's bad. I'm saying it's important for us to bring in maybe books, maybe podcasts, maybe videos, or even conversations to sit down with people and simply listen to their story. But here is the issue. Many of us want to sit down and we want to begin justifying ourselves when we have those conversations and not listening. And so I want to encourage you to sit down with somebody different than you and just ask their story. Make a commitment to not say anything about your story or what you've experienced. Just listen to somebody else's now listen, this isn't even a black and white issue. This isn't just, like, I'm not just talking about, hey, everybody that's, that's, that's Anglo needs to go sit down with a minority. I'm saying minorities, us too, we need to go and sit down with people and hear their story and how they've been affected. This is important for us to learn from all sides and learn to listen and learn over speaking and dismissing. Number three, Pastor Will says, we need to search for the voice of God. Search for what God's word says, not what culture says, not even what pastors say. We need to ask, what does God say about these issues? We're going to talk about that today, but there's more. The Bible talks about this quite a bit. And lastly, we need to take a stand. At the end of all this, that, that uh, I would hope that you would have the courage, that we would have the courage to respond in the way that God is calling us to respond, that we would be obedient to whatever it is that God tells us as a result of what he said to us in this next period of time as we begin to ask God, speak to us about these issues in us. And so keep those four things in mind as we begin today's message. And so if you're taking notes today, this is our first observation for the day. Racial reconciliation is a gospel issue. Racial reconciliation is not a political issue. It's not a fad thing to do. It's not even just the right thing to do, but racial reconciliation, all races, is a gospel issue. Let's go back to the portions of Scripture that Jess read this morning and start with those first couple of verses, Luke 10, 25 to 28. Because I want you to see 
that this isn't just a nice story. This is in response to a question. So watch what Jesus does here. An expert in the law stood up to test him, to test Jesus, saying, Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus takes it back on him and says, Well, what's written in the law? How do you read it? Expert in the law answered, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. Jesus answers him, You've answered correctly. Now listen to this statement. Do this, and you will what? Live. Jesus ties this statement to our salvation. Jesus ties the loving of God and loving of people together. This is why Jesus said all the law and the prophets, the entire Bible is summed up in two things. Love God with all of yourself and love your neighbor as yourself. This is, that's how important this is to God. Now, someone might say, but we have many different races in our congregation. Why is this relevant? It's relevant because we as a church are actually a family. This isn't an issue of black and white. It's an issue of all racial backgrounds. And the Story City is incredibly blessed to have people from all over the world. I started to make a list, and I, I was like, this is going to take too much time. It is amazing. If you've been here for any length of time, you've heard the, the, the scripture reading translated into a bunch of different languages as we stand here on Sunday morning. Why is that? Because we are a church that looks like the kingdom of heaven, and we will continue to be a church that looks like the kingdom of heaven. But if that's true... Then within our own family, we have those here who are hurting. We have those here who are dealing with racism and discrimination, sometimes on a daily basis. You may, never, you may have never been followed in the store or had people stare at you and move to the other side of the aisle when you walk by. You may have never been afraid on a traffic stop, but you know what? Someone sitting near you in this room has. Someone in our family experiences something like that regularly. If we're to be a family here at Story City, we must care about all of our family and the issues that face us individually and corporately. Now, racism, discrimination is not new to humanity. It's not an American issue. It's not a Western issue. It's not something that's just kind of popped up. It's a sin issue. The Old Testament story of Jonah is about one prophet's disobedience to God. And the reason he's disobedient, the reason he doesn't want to go to the Ninevites, is purely out of racial and nationalistic hatred. For those of you that read the story of Jonah before, it's, it's really not about the, the, the big giant fish, not the whale. It's not about the fish. If you look at the story, it's about what God does in Jonah's heart. We're going to talk about that again later in this year. But this is really about Jonah's hatred of the people that God tells him to go to. And he won't do it. The Apostle Paul has to confront the Apostle Peter in public for his racism against the Greeks and the Gentiles. We're talking about Peter, the very first leader of the church, the guy who hung out with Jesus. had to be put on blast for his racism. So if, if this is an issue that we're all dealing with, we can look back and be like, this guy hung out with Jesus and he still wasn't fixed. Like, it's okay, it's okay. But the clearest indication 
that this is a gospel issue is Jesus' statements in today's passage. Now, some of you have grown up hearing this parable. Some of you have not ever heard this. And so I want to give you a little background because here's the deal. I'm going to paraphrase this story in a minute, and it might make some of you uncomfortable, and that's okay. Right? We already talked about being uncomfortable, what that means. But I want you to know, this would have gone beyond that for the Jews that hear Jesus' story. This would have made them livid, angry. They would have said, you can't talk about that Sunday morning in church. They would have said, oh, it wouldn't have been Sunday morning, right? It would have been Friday night. You know, get what I'm saying. <laughs> but this would have made them rise up and be absolutely, to the, to the most angry they could have. This was, this was shocking to them. And sometimes we read our Bibles in a way that makes us go, oh, that's a nice story. Yay, we've taken, you know, I heard learn that in Sunday school. It's wonderful. And we miss the gravity and, 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 and the seriousness of what Jesus says. Jesus lays the wood in this story. And so I, I want us to, to, to know a couple of things about this. First, the Jews and the Samaritans hated each other with a passion with a passion. If you don't know, uh, they, they basically were, were in a giant argument over, A, who the Samaritans were. And the Jews said, you guys aren't even pure anymore. Your race has been intermingled with the people around you. And so um, you're not even pure Jews. And they said, well, hey, you know, when the temple got destroyed, we built our own temple. This is the true temple. The Jews are like, you can't build a temple over there just because you want. And you're not racially pure, so we reject your temple. And so they got in this massive fight over whose temple was right and whose wasn't. The Samaritans actually at one point came in, snuck in the temple, and then desecrated it by putting bones and ashes of dead people all over the Jewish temple, which ruined worship for a long time. They had to redo that. In retaliation, about 150 years later, the Jews came in and just destroyed the Samaritans' temple. And so they would see each other as the most extreme terrorists of their day. This is this is why when we talk about Jesus talking to the Samaritan woman at the well and the disciples are like, you, you wouldn't be talking to her. Like, what, what is going on? This was massive. And so I want to present us a little bit of a modern paraphrase. Now, keep in mind, I'm using caricature and hyperbole to emphasize a point here, okay? You guys ready? A white nationalist is leaving the capital and he turns down an alley, and he's savagely beaten, robbed, left half naked, and half dead. As he lay unconscious in a pool of his own blood, a pastor walked down the alley. He glanced at the man, crossed to the other side, and went on with his day. Sometime later, the director of a pro-life clinic also turned down the alley, he also crossed to the other side of the alley and went on with his day. Finally, an African-American member of Biden's staff turned the corner. She walked down the alley and immediately went to the man. She checked for a pulse and finding one, began to examine the extent of the wounds. Taking out a first aid kit, she cleaned him up to the best of her ability. She then physically carried him to a nearby Airbnb and hired a doctor to attend him on site. She paid the Airbnb and the doctor for a month's worth of care and let them know that she would be back at the end of the month to cover any further debt his care would incur. Okay, now let's reread the original story with our new understanding in mind. Then an expert in the law stood up to test him, saying, Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What's written in the law? He asked him. How do you read it? He answered, 
Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. Jesus says, you got it right so far. You answered correctly, he told him. Do this and you will live. Verse 29. But wanting to justify himself, he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus took up the question and said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him, beat him up, and fled, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down that road. When he saw him, he passed by on the other side. In the same way, a Levite, when he arrived at that place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan on his journey came up to him. And when he saw the man, he had compassion. He went over to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on olive oil and wine. Then he put him on his own animal, brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper and said, take care of him. When I come back, I'll reimburse you for whatever extra you spend. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The one who showed mercy to him, he said. Then Jesus told him, go and do the same. The question that started all of this was, what do I need to be, do to be saved? And Jesus answered, love your God and love your neighbor. And then the man asked this question, well, who is my neighbor? And what he's saying is, what are the limits of that? I mean, really, what, who do I actually have to love? What is the boundaries? Because there are some people that I am not going to love, Jesus. Like, I mean, you surely didn't mean that person, right? Like, yeah, anybody but them. Jesus, please. Does that include my mother-in-law? I'm just asking for a friend. Just kidding. I love my mother-in-law. I'm just, I'm just kidding. But Jesus gives him the most unthinkable answer. This is shocking. This is hard. This isn't like, oh, yeah, cool, it was a Samaritan. This is like, what did he just say? In giving this answer, Jesus is saying there's absolutely no boundary to who we are required to love, that we are called to love everyone God puts in our path by extending them the same grace and love and respect and care and understanding and patience that we would actually give to ourselves and we are to love them. Not tolerate them. Not avoid them. Well, you know what? I don't hate them. I just don't want to be around them. It's not what he's saying. Not trying to get them to our way of thinking. Well, you know what? I'll love them if they can just see things my way, then we can be friends. It's not what he says. But to love them. To hurt when they hurt. To be joyful when they succeed. To pray for them to meet their needs in real and tangible ways, but ultimately to desire to know them and for them to know and love Jesus and people. Why? Because God is in the reconciliation business himself. If you're taking notes today, this is our second and final observation for the day. We are all called to live reconciled. We are all called to live reconciled. It's hard for us to remember, but the truth is that as we become apprentices of Jesus, we are actually now citizens of a new kingdom. And as such, we are actually the aliens, the strangers, and the foreigners that were adopted into a faith that isn't even Western. I know it gets difficult to remember when we're looking at Christmas pictures of Jesus and it's Swedish, right? <laughs> Jesus was not Swedish, he was Jewish. 
And it's easy because we, we, we are so thankful that we live in a country that has uh, embraced some Judeo-Christian ideas and values, or at least at one point had. The truth is that we are post-Christian, and I would argue that we are pre-Christian. Meaning that, I, guys, I can't even tell you how many people I've met in the streets here of L.A. that say you're the first Christian I've ever met. We forget sometimes that, that we, we live in our little Christian bubble and we think everybody understands or thinks this way. I was reading, an, uh, uh, you know, surprise, surprise, an argument on Twitter this morning. <laughs> and this person that was making a statement against churches said there isn't a single person in this world that doesn't know about the Christian God. And I was like, man, that is your experience. That is certainly not my experience. And so it's important that we remember that this isn't a story of black or white or Republican or Democrat or anything else. We could reverse the roles in my paraphrase, and the point would be exactly the same. This is about our heart attitude towards others and how we love God and people. Pastor Dahadi Lewis said something that, that I, I absolutely love. He said this. He said, we cannot make a change in our community until we make a change at our dinner tables. We cannot make change in our community until we make a change at our dinner tables. There's a reason that the peace accords in the Middle East always revolve around food. And it's not just because Middle Eastern food is so amazing. It's because eating together is a sign of peace. If we want to see change in us and the people around us, we need to start by inviting people not like us into our lives. And a meal is a great place to start. It helps us remember, as apprentices Jesus, that we are the outsiders who are not holy, but we're brought into the family of God through his reconciliation, purchased by the blood of Jesus on the cross. We were beaten and robbed and lying in the blood of our own sins because of our own issues when Jesus came and rescued and renewed us, when he, when he cared for us and paid the debt for us. A couple weeks ago, I talked about how my stepdad adopted me and changed my name. For those of you who don't know, I was not born with the name Jared Chance Ocelier. I was born Chance Jared Castro. Chance Castro was the name. And, uh, and so my stepdad, when he adopted me, switched those names. I still remember the judge putting his arm around me and asking, is this what you want? I was about five years old. I, I remember his itchy white beard. <laughs> but did you know that, that I have two birth certificates? I have one with my original name on it and my father's name on it. And I have a second, the legal one, the one that the court sees that says Jared Chance Altelier with my stepdad's name on it. As far as the legal system is concerned, there never was another birth certificate. I have a completely new identity because of what my dad did in adopting me. When we become apprentices of Jesus, the Bible says we're made new. We have a new birth certificate with a brand new identity. But we aren't just new. We're brought into the family of God. We are welcomed in, no matter who we are. But we're not just brought into the family as stepchildren. Whoa. <laughs> we are full daughters and sons with an inheritance in everything. And for those of us who have been reconciled to God, we now have a responsibility Listen to me. For those who have been reconciled to God, we now have a responsibility to be a part of God's plan to reconcile the world. 
When humanity rebelled against God, sin broke the relationship between God and humanity, between humans, and between humanity and creation. All you have to do is look around and see all those are true. Jesus entered into humanity by taking on human nature in addition to his God nature. And his death and resurrection then provided a way for us to be justified, which is what we call saved, reconciled, which is made new each and every day. The Bible says that he is transforming us day by day. And finally, one day, we will all be restored as he returns and sets all things right. So apprentices of Jesus have been saved, are being saved, and will be saved. But remember, God said it's not just about loving him and having a relationship with him. We are to love our neighbors as what? Ourselves. This means that we have a part to play in God's story of redemption and reconciliation. We are reconciled, and so that means that racial reconciliation is one of the ways that we live out our love for God and our neighbors. It must start here if we want to see it anywhere else. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. God, thank you for your incredible grace and mercy. I thank you for the things that you are doing in us. I pray, Lord, that this wouldn't just be some nice sermon. This wouldn't just be some topic that we talked about. This wouldn't just be, Lord, something that made us feel uncomfortable when we move on, but that this would begin something in our hearts and our minds and our lives where we really see you as the God of reconciliation and redemption of what you've done for us would motivate us and push us to be gracious and kind to others, that we would be a people who listen, who love deeply, who seek out those who are different from us, and, and we would learn that we would lay down our rights, that we would lay down our agendas, we would lay down the things that we think we had owed, that we are owed. Even those of us who have been wronged, we would lay down our hurts and we would seek understanding and reconciliation. So Lord, I pray that all of us, no matter what our backgrounds, would first primarily be citizens of the kingdom of God and we would love you and love people In Jesus' name.